Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning, I'm Karen Moscow, along with Tom Keen and Michael McKee, and the opening bell is brought to you by SEI. Have evolving investor and regulatory demands affected your investment firm's operational readiness? Imagine transforming your business with SEI's global platform at SEIC.com slash imagine. Stocks higher at the open. The S&P 500 up 7 tenths percent or 14 points to 2015. Dow Jones Industrial Average up 7 tenths percent or 123 points to 17,263. The Nasdaq's up 1.1% or 51 points to 46.46. Ten-year Treasury down 6.30 seconds. The yield 1.45%. Yield on the two-year 0.61%. NYMEX crude oil up 2.9% or $1.34 to 47.69 a barrel. COMEX Gold on half percent or six dollars thirty cents to thirteen eighteen fifty an ounce. The euro is at a dollar ten sixty two. The yen one zero two point four three. The British pounds at a dollar thirty three eighty three. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen Mesco, thank you very much. I have been waiting for this interview since the twenty fourth of. Uh, of June, and I don't want to uh, sound like I am uh, critis- critical. Is this of, with of the Ver- is this with the Veronicas of Australia? <laughs> I, they have a new single out. Uh, I, but uh, Justin, uh, University of Michigan economics professor, one of the smarter people we know, has written extensively about prediction markets. A number of papers about prediction markets. Yeah. And in the Brexit vote, uh, Justin, of course, the prediction markets were horribly wrong. And I just wondered your thoughts on that because uh, we haven't had a chance to talk to you since they uh, since the vote happened. Yeah, so I think there's um, uh, let, let me make two points. So one is sort of a metaphysical point, and the other is a little bit easier to handle. Um, the metaphysical point is this: the night before the election, um, markets said that there was a one in six chance that Leave would win. The thing about one in six chances is they're meant to happen one-sixth of the time. So, you know, uh, were markets wrong to call it a one in six chance? You can't tell just off one observation, right? So if I say to you there's a one in six chance that when you roll a die, it'll come up a six, and then you roll the die and it comes up a five, does that mean I was right or wrong? Um, you know, the harder question is do one in six chances come up one-sixth of the time? Um, so that's sort of the metaphysical. People never find that particularly satisfying. But, I, you know, it, 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 think about it another way, which is the markets are saying we think that Remain is going to win, but we're aware of and we understand our uncertainty here and we're willing to quantify that uncertainty. And that uncertainty is we think there's a one-sixth chance we get it wrong. And that at least makes the markets better than most talking heads who will stare straight down the camera and tell you with rock-solid certainty that... Um, given their experience, that they're certain that, you know, their particular prediction's going to happen. Um, the second point I'd make is the case for prediction markets has never been a case that prediction markets are perfect. Um, in fact, the case is simpler than that. It's just that all the ways of predicting elections are terrible and prediction markets are the least terrible. And the Brexit election actually fits that pattern exactly right, which is the pundits got this wrong, the polls got this wrong, and prediction markets got this wrong. So uh, we learn that they're all terrible. And what we have to do is look for other evidence to figure out which one's the least terrible. 
And, uh, you know, we've got a long run of data over many elections in many countries that says prediction markets are less terrible. Yeah, the problem is, of course, or the problem was in this case, that an awful lot of money seems to have been invested on the idea that the prediction markets were suggesting something like an 84, 85% chance that the Remain side would win. Uh, Tom and I saw that. Uh, the, the last number that came out on that was during the trading day on Thursday when the Brits were voting, and it certainly moved the markets. Uh, no, absolutely. I mean... There's real information that's out there, and if the information's not moving, either prediction markets or financial markets, um, you know, that, that, that's a whole different problem again. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I think the, the, the simplest thing to say is it was a really hard election to pick, and uh, the less likely one, XM, ended right. up winning, and that sometimes happens. Justin, you have a paper out a few years ago, Trust in Public Institutions Over the Business Cycle. Ken Rogoff writes a few days ago, on the idea, and he calls it, quote, the real lunacy of a 50% hurdle rate referendum. Is the arch error here that they made quasi-constitutional choices with a 50% referendum versus something higher? Yeah, so there is a, there's another way of putting Ken's point, and I think it's a very important one, um, which is when you have, you know, irreversible choices, Choices that you could make today or you could make tomorrow, maybe you should think about the rate of return that you want being a little bit higher. So, you know, if 51% of Brits today think exiting is a good idea, this is a pretty good chance that a majority of them tomorrow will think something different. So a majority of them tomorrow will be pretty cranky about us having locked them out of the EU. Um, and so if there's a high probability that tomorrow's people will be disappointed at decision, the irreversible decisions that yesterday's people made, um, then you want to set the bar a little higher for today's people to potentially disappoint tomorrow's. Um, and so I think he's right. Um, now, you know, the whole enterprise here was poorly thought through. Um, you know, it was a political stunt that no one expected to get up and win. And then we're all left with nightmare today figuring out what the hell it means even to exit after all. What, so where would you suggest they go from here with this, is if, if anywhere? Um, or do you just design now the, uh, the way out? I mean, so one of, you know, I, I, one of the things that is unclear actually is what the next step is, um, which is, you know, is there some possibility we end up at another referendum, right? You know, the Brits have actually got to trigger Article 50 before... You know, they then start the rest of the process and, and leave, and no one's, no one's fired that button yet, despite the pre-election promises that they would. There's a long history of um, throughout European integration of going to referendums, and when the people give what the elites think is the wrong answer the first time, then they just go back and keep asking until they give the integration answer again. Um, so if the Brits didn't do that, it would actually be sort of a reversal of past patterns. You know, look, I don't think any of us know. Um, there's tremendous political uncertainty over there right now on both the left and the right. Um, but I wouldn't be totally surprised if there weren't an attempt at a do-over at some point. Well, that may be the case. Um, in which case, how is there a way to design a survey or a prediction model that would give us a better result? So trying to predict whether... Um, you know, they're going to trigger Article 50 or go back and have another referendum. That's a completely different question because there we're not asking 
what is the general will of the people? It is asking what are the actions of the elites going to be? Um, generally speaking, I think the prediction markets do a good job at predicting elections because, you know, they're aggregating broad-based information from voters all around the country. You know, you are walking down the street, you see a bunch of signs, you're at the water cooler, you hear how your colleagues are talking about this and so on. So I think they generally do a good job in what they, when they're trying to predict what the general electorate is going to do. When they're trying to predict what a handful of elites will do, these are decisions that are mm-hmm. out in smoke-filled rooms, and none of the traders are in that room. Um, so that's a case where it's right. not that I think the prediction market is useless, but I think the prediction market may actually tell us, look, it's really freaking yeah. hard to know. Think if this is a measure of our uncertainty. Justin Wolfers, thank you so much. Look forward to speaking to you again soon. He is with the University of Michigan. Mike, absolutely fascinating there about, and he's really the first frontline economist I've said suggesting a second vote. I, you know, I, I've heard a lot of vacillation. He didn't vacillate. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, he's looking at statistically at it, with, yeah. and there are a lot of statistical shortcomings, certainly with the way this was designed. The VIX, 20.43. One of the remarkable things, the VIX relatively subdued after what we've seen the last few days. Up 180 points on the Dow. Let's check in with Michael Barr now and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. A Republican-led panel will release its final report on Benghazi this morning. According to excerpts given to CNN ahead of the release of the report, Hillary Clinton should have realized that extremists posed a risk to U.S. officials in Libya before the September 2012 attacks that killed four Americans, including U.S. Ambassador Chris Stevens. Democrats say that Clinton, who was then Secretary of State, did nothing improper. Hillary Clinton will campaign in Denver today. She will push entrepreneurship. Donald Trump will outline his trade policies today. British Prime Minister David Cameron is in Brussels to address an emergency meeting with the European Union. Cameron says the U.K. may be breaking up with Europe, but he hopes they'll stay friends. I very much hope we'll seek the closest possible relationship in terms of trade and cooperation and security because that is good for us and that is good for them. And that's the spirit in which the discussions, I think, will be held today. German Chancellor Angela Merkel is heartening her stance about Britain's Brexit vote. Merkel says the U.K. can expect favored treatment once it leaves and there will be no informal talks on a new relationship before Britain files to leave. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,600 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg. Mike, Tom? Michael Barr, thanks so much. Sterling, 133.88. It was up above a 134, but nevertheless better uh, today off of the last few days' carnage. The yen, 102.48. Michael McKee and Tom Keene next. Michael Ferroli on America's potential growth. Bloomberg Surveillance. Banks are pushing back their calls on the Fed. J.P. Morgan now says December. What's behind that call? Michael Peroli joins us coming up here on Bloomberg Surveillance on Bloomberg Radio Worldwide.